You know, yesterday or last night, I was kind of admiring the sunset, and I, I chose to look the other way. Uh, I do that deliberately because everyone always looks at the beautiful thing, and they miss what could be happening behind them. Uh, and I was just kind of marveling at the sun and the glow and the pink and the way it was shining on Mount Baker in the distance, and it was just gorgeous. Uh, and then driving to church this morning, just being reminded that we live in a truly beautiful part of the country. In fact, I would say a truly beautiful part of the world. Uh, so, of course, it's, it's no surprise when people from other parts of our country visit us. Uh, if you are visiting us this morning, we do want to welcome you. And, of course, I'm going to single out Tyler and his wife, Angela. I'm not going to try and name all your kids simply because I don't know all your kids' names. Uh, but Tyler, it's great to have you here. For those who don't know, Tyler is one of our pastors uh, at Crescent Heights Baptist in Calgary. And so, yeah, we're glad you're taking some holiday and joining us here today. I got to tell you, though, as a pastor, it's always exciting when I see a new family visiting. I'm like, oh, and then I re realize, no, they're from another church elsewhere. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> but we're still glad you're here. <laughs> and of course, if you're not in a church and you're visiting with us, we're still glad you're here as well. Uh, whether you're here in person or joining us online, may the Lord bless you today. Uh, I want to begin by telling you where we're going today and what's going to be happening at the end of our service. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I think I mentioned it last week as well. Uh, today is a communion service, and generally when we come to communion service, because we, well, certainly I have this belief that this is family time. It's like gathering around a table as a family to share a meal, to share fellowship with one another. And because we're having communion this morning and gathering around, we've had one or two people over the last few weeks come to the pastoral team and simply ask, please, will you pray for me? Uh, I've had this diagnosis. Some have been significant and serious cancer diagnoses. Others have had just tragic and terrible news. Uh, and they've asked, please, will you pray for us? And I'm reminded how James, the brother of Jesus, says to us in James chapter 5, if any of you is sick or if any of you are sick, let them call the elders and they will pray for you and anoint you. And the prayer of faith and the prayer of a righteous person uh, is, is availeth, availeth much. I just realized I memorized that in the King James Version. Um, but basically, we, we gather together and we pray in that place. And so right after the service this morning, we are going to have a time of prayer for those who would like it. Uh, so if, if you're kind of in that place where you're going, you know, I've got this hanging over me, I've got this concern, I've got this trial, I've got this challenge, uh, we will have that space available. When we're finished with the benediction, uh, kind of this sanctuary will kind of go a little quiet. And I would encourage you, I know sometimes some people enjoy just sitting around chatting in the sanctuary this morning. Please go through to the activity hall, go and have a conversation there. Uh, for the introverts who really like hiding in here and don't like the extroversion that happens there, I will pray for you. Uh, and may you experience the presence of the Lord as you go through the activity hall. So that's where we're going this morning, and that will be at the end of the service. For now, uh, we continue on the series that we've been journeying through through summer. Uh, this idea, and, and it blows my mind, it's this idea that God invites us to simply speak with Him, to simply talk. And, and, and God invites by saying, let's talk. 
It's this opportunity for us to come before our eternally holy, all-powerful Creator God who stoops down to our level in order to simply speak with us, to simply have a conversation. He comes to us. We cannot get to Him. You know, on Friday night, I was at the Whitecaps game, and, and I don't often go to the Whitecaps game because generally they lose, uh, and, and then I just get upset. But on Friday night, I was at the Whitecaps game, uh, and I got invited by a friend, and so I was sitting in seats that I would never ordinarily get to sit in. Uh, I had my feet on the actual turf, and that kind of felt illegal. Uh, you know, I was waiting for security to say, sir, you don't belong here, please leave. Uh, but after the game, because of the area that we were sitting in, the coach and some of the players actually came up to us. They, they willingly chose to come over to us, yes, to high five, to fist bump, to take selfies, but just to chat and to mingle. And, and I kind of realized I'm not equating the coach of the Whitecaps with God, uh, but I saw that image there, that there is no way I can get to them. I cannot get to God. God comes to me. God comes to us, and he simply says, let's talk. Let's communicate with each other. And so last week, as, we, as you heard uh, Peter mention, we spoke about praying in distress, praying in the middle of that valley of the shadow of death as we looked at Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prays, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. And Jesus knew he was about to face arrest, beating, torture, and that would culminate with the crucifixion. And Jesus prays, Father, if possible, take this cup from me. But then the very next line, he says, not my will be done, but yours. And it's that reminder that even in great distress, even in trials of, of, of incredible kinds that just weigh heavy on us, we can still pray, God, I know you're good. I don't like what's happening, but I know you're good and I trust you. And so I pray that your will would be done. And so this morning we continue as we look at praying for joy. As we see the model of Jesus as he speaks to his Father and as he guides us and as he directs us in praying for joy. And as I talk about praying for joy, I wonder if you've ever thought what a Christian should look like. Or what should a church look like. It's a fascinating consideration if you think about it. In fact, if I kind of spoke to you, hopefully, if I said, what does a Christian look like? Hopefully, you would give me a bunch of positive uh, examples and positive things. Sadly, that's not the case in the world. Uh, often, if we engage with people in the world uh, and point out that we're Christian or we're part of a church, often there's this negative connotation. Oh, you're boring, you're killjoys, you're holier than thou, you're hypocrites. Uh, you, you know, you've got all these rules and you just don't know how to live life. But yet, that's not what the Bible points us to. That's not what Jesus calls us to. That's not what the church is supposed to be. This gathering of believers, this gathering of disciples is supposed to be a place of joy. It's supposed to be a place of life. It's supposed to be a place where the presence of God is active and at work and moving among us. And why do I say that? Because that's what Jesus prayed for. That's what Jesus wants us to look like. And he prays in John chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to John 17. And we're going to read from a couple of verses towards the end of it. 
But I love how John 17 starts in the very first verse. We read about Jesus looks to heaven. Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven and he begins to pray. He lifts his eyes up and, and, and he prays that God's glory would be made known, that it would be manifest. And at the beginning of his prayer, he's focusing on God. But then towards the end, he prays for his church. And that is, he prays for you and for me. Remember, the church isn't this building. The church are the people who gather together. It's disciples of Jesus Christ. And so what does Jesus pray for us? Reading from verse 13. Jesus begins by saying, I am coming to you now. That is, he's coming to the heavenly father. He knows what's about to take place. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What should a church look like? What should a Christian look like? Jesus prays for it right here in those couple of verses. And there are a few characteristics. There are a few thoughts that jump out of me from this passage. And the first characteristic or the first mark of what the church should look like and what a Christian should look like is right off the bat there in verse 13. And Jesus prays that his joy would be fulfilled in his disciples. Now, I know the word joy sometimes is a little confusing. You know, I was at, at the Whitecaps game on Friday, and they conceded a goal in the first six minutes, and they then proceeded to spend another 83 minutes doing nothing. And in the last few moments of the game, I thought, okay, they're going to lose half of the course. I'm not emotionally invested in them. But then they scored a goal in the 90th minute, or the 89th minute, sorry. And the whole stadium just erupted. You know, as everyone was like, yes, we're going to get a point. We drew. And then in extra time, we scored another goal. And if you thought we went crazy at the first goal, the second goal was like a mass hysteria. Is that joy? No. No, that's, that's not joy. That's happiness. And there's a big difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on happenings. As things happen to me, so my emotions respond. And if I have a good experience that leads me to happiness, well, there's my happiness. 
But you and I have both had those experiences where we have gone from happy to angry really quickly. Or we've gone from happy to sad really quickly. We can go from happy to another emotion like this. No, joy is not happiness. Joy is a deep-seated response. And it's a gift of God. Joy is what dwells within me that when I come to an experience that doesn't make me happy, I can still rest secure because I know God is in control. And so it doesn't derail me. It doesn't derail my faith. It doesn't leave me thinking, oh, woe is me. It leaves me like last week, being able to pray, God, not my will, but yours be done. Because I trust you. I know you're a good father. I know you're in control. And so I can be joyful in all things, even the bad things. Because my joy is not based on the happenings. My joy is based on Christ within me. And this is what Jesus prays for his disciples. He prays that our joy would be complete, that we would understand and have that full measure of joy. It's not something we can manufacture. We cannot build it. We cannot make it any better. We can simply receive it as God moves within us, as his Holy Spirit works. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus does say to us in John chapter 15, just a few verses or a few chapters before this, he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my father's commands and love and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So, yes, there is a correlation that as I obey Jesus, as I put into practice his words, as I live according to his directions and directives, yes, I experience joy, but it begins with God at work within me as his Holy Spirit moves. And of course, most of us don't generally feel like obeying God. Most of us don't generally want to do what God wants us to do because we think somehow that's not going to lead to joy. And we get distracted by all these little trappings and these little temptations in the world, and, and those make us happy for a moment, but then we realize that happiness is fleeting. We don't experience joy. And so Jesus prays, may we know that joy. And as we experience that joy, may we continue to receive joy through simply obeying his commands by doing what he calls us to do. And so I don't know where you are at the moment. I don't know what experience you're going through. I don't know what happenings have happened this morning. And perhaps you've come into church and you're angry, you're sad, you're anxious, you're frustrated, whatever other emotional experience you're feeling. Know that Jesus has prayed for you. And Jesus has prayed that you would experience his joy. And isn't it amazing that Jesus prays that on the night he's about to be arrested and crucified? He still speaks of joy. And Jesus prays that you and I would have joy and joy everlasting. So that mark of being a Christian, that mark of a disciple, the mark of joy comes from knowing Christ and following Christ. 
The second mark or the second characteristic of a disciple of Jesus Christ, of the church of Christ, is holiness. In fact, if you go back in our text to John 17 and have a look at verse 17, we didn't read it, but in verse 17, it says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We did read it. My bad. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, again, that's a word we don't use. We only ever hear the word sanctified and sanctification in the church. And we nod piously because we know it's a good religious word, even though we have no clue what it means. And those who have no experience of the church go, what on earth are you talking about? The word sanctify simply means to be set apart. It is something that has been set apart for use and a specific use. And so when Jesus says, sanctify them, what Jesus is praying for is that we would be set apart, that God would be able to use us in the world. That's what Jesus goes on to speak about in that prayer, that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're supposed to look different to the world. And I don't mean different in that crazy nut job kind of sense. There's supposed to be something about us that the world looks at and goes, what is that reason for their joy? Why, why do they seem so at peace with everything falling apart around them? Why is it that we, you know, we see this diverse group of people? That's what I love about White Rock Baptist Church is we're from all over the world. We're from all over the country. I've done this before. I'm not going to do it this morning, but I've done it before and d discovered that very few of us are actually born here. Most of the people in the sanctuary this morning are from somewhere else. Yet here we are together. And the world goes, why is that? Why would such a diverse, disparate group of people come together, sing together, be happy together? Because they've been set apart. They've been set apart as holy to the Lord. So that God can use us for his mission and for his purpose. That's why Jesus prays, don't take them out of the world. That would be the worst thing for the world. If those Christians, if those disciples of mine are taken from the world, what hope will the world have? And so Jesus prays, sanctify them by truth. May they understand and know the truth of God, and may they put the truth of God into practice. And even in Jesus' prayer, Jesus acknowledges that the world hates him. And so you and I better realize that the world isn't always going to love us. You know, when, we, when we call out sin, or when we call out the world living in a way that is contrary to God's ideals, we're going to get judged and lambasted and ostracized. Jesus says, hey, the world hated me first. Don't be surprised when they hate you. Just be faithful because you're sanctified. You are set apart for my purpose. You're set apart to be holy. And in that holiness, we experience joy as we serve God. In fact, that's what the, the shorter catechism says. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's our purpose. That's why we're created. We're created to glorify God. We're created to enjoy God. Why? Because we've been sanctified and set apart to serve God. 
And Jesus prays. My prayer is not for them alone, not just for those disciples, but I pray for those who will believe in me through them. There is Jesus is praying for the church throughout time. Jesus prayed for you and for me that night as he prayed. I don't only pray for my disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. And that's the third mark of a disciple. That's the third characteristic of the church of Jesus Christ. It's summed up in the word unity. Unity. We are one in Christ. In fact, three times Jesus prays for all, for all his disciples, for all believers, that we would be made one. Jesus is talking about this incredible unity. But notice the unity is in Christ. And that's why we can all be so different. Because we're not united around differences. You know, hockey season starts up again soon. And we don't all support the same team. We support different teams. Could you imagine if we came to church in all our different hockey jerseys? There'd probably be, you know, some fights. That's why we're not united around hockey. We're not united about those externals. We're not united around our skin color. We're not even united around political opinions. We're united because we're in Christ Jesus. That's what brings us together. We're united in Him. It's Jesus who sets us apart. It's Jesus who delivers us. It's Jesus who brings us into this incredible family of God. Jesus does this incredible thing where He he seems to work in ways that defy the world's logic. You know, he delivers people out of Egypt with plagues, not with programs. He defeats giants with teenagers, not team meetings. He doesn't call CEOs to lead his church. He calls crazy foreigners to be pastors. He calls people who often feel completely unqualified. And then he qualifies them. And he equips each and every one of us for his purpose and for his mission. And he brings us together as one. That's what Paul gets at in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4 verse 11 to 16, Paul says, God calls apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, all these disparate gifts. God calls them together to equip the saints for works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity in faith. That's why God equips us in so many different ways. That's why we need each and every one of us. We all serve together and we use the gifts that God has given us in different ways. And, and so this morning, while I'm up here speaking, there are volunteers in the Sunday school teaching children. Before you got to church this morning, there were volunteers in the kitchen getting coffee and everything ready. God gives us all these gifts. Why? So that we can become one and serve together. That's unity in Christ. We're not united simply to be agreeable. We're united because Jesus unites us. And Jesus prays for that. And so for us, what then is our guide? What then is our mark? Well, it's quite simple. It's Jesus Christ. You know, this morning, as Peter was playing his guitar, 
Uh, you know, I was kind of thinking about it. Imagine if we had like 20 guitarists up on stage. And just before, as they were practicing, Peter kind of started playing, and the next person along went, oh, mine sounds a little out of tune. Uh, let me tune it while I listen to yours. And then the next person down goes, oh, okay, well, let me tune it to your one who's just copied from Peter. And then the next person goes, well, let me tune it to yours, and so on and so forth. You know none of those guitars are going to sound the same. They're all going to be a little bit off. And so once they start playing, the only word I can use is cacophony. It would just be a noise. No. So what do we use as our guide? Quite simply, Jesus Christ. We tune ourselves according to Christ. And how? Well, I've already answered that. By obeying His commands. By living in light of the Word of Christ. By putting into practice what Jesus calls us to do. By living to His commands. To His truth. And the amazing thing about all of that, when we do that, when we experience that joy that Jesus prays for, when we experience being sanctified and set apart, when we experience holiness, what happens? Well, that's the incredible thing in verse 23. The world may know that God has sent Christ and that God loves us even as He loves His Son, Jesus. As we walk with joy, regardless of what's going on, as we walk with an awareness and an understanding that we've been set apart, we don't have to look like the world. And as we walk with the realization that we are together, united in Christ, and we can be one, and that's not for ourselves, that's so that the world may know. And that's what blows me away. Jesus prayed that we wouldn't be taken out of the world. Why? Because he loves the world. And he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to get to eternity not knowing him. He wants all people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And he uses us to do that. Jesus prays that we would be joyful, holy, and united. And that joy that we have as Christians comes from knowing Christ and faithfully applying and obeying his word. The holiness we have as Christians comes from knowing Christ and being set apart by the truth of His Word. And the unity that we are to have as Christians comes from knowing Christ and being unified in the truth of His Word. And when we get that right, we realize it's all about Jesus and it is all for Jesus. I don't know where you are in your acknowledgement or understanding or relationship with Jesus Christ. I know that Jesus invites each and every one of us to come to him so that we might experience life. And that's what we're going to acknowledge in a moment as we gather around the communion table, as we gather to reflect on the gift of grace through Jesus Christ, who calls us, who gives us joy, who sets us apart, and who unites us. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that as you prayed for us, your disciples, and the, the church to come throughout history, Jesus, you prayed that we would experience your joy. That we would know what it means to be joyful despite circumstances, despite what might be happening. That we could rest with assurance because our assurance is in you. 
And Jesus, as you prayed for our joy and, and taught us to pray for joy, so you prayed that we would be set apart while still in the world. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't intend that we would just be taken out of the world, but rather that you would use us to reach the world. And so you prayed that we would be marked as holy. And then, Jesus, you prayed that we would be one, that we would be united in you. Regardless of all our little differences, regardless of perhaps opinions and styles and likes, or whatever the case might be, we would still be united because we're united in you. God, I pray for the world around us. I pray for each and every neighbor of every person in this room. I pray for colleagues. I pray for family who do not know you. Jesus, you prayed that they would know you because of our unity because of our holiness, and because of our joy. And may you be glorified. Amen.